Good morning, everyone, and welcome to another Sunday Roast. And this Sunday Roast is live. Um, we have two wonderful guests, as always. Uh, we Let's start with Richard. Richard, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Um, and, uh, oh, yeah, good morning, Max. Thank you for having me on today. My name's Richard Hewison. I'm currently rejoining EU Party candidate at the Uxbridge and South Rice Lib by-election. So, uh, obviously, big campaigning, but great to be on the show today to talk about it. Thank you. Fantastic. And Davey? Yes, uh, I don't really know what to say. I'm, at this point, I feel like I'm the world's most reluctant person that talks about politics on the internet and is getting increasingly angry at the ridiculous situation that I find myself in every day I wake up. If Or something more positive, like, <laughs> my name's David and I talk about politics in an accessible way on the internet. How's that? Hello, ding dang do. Uh, my name's Alex, also known as Political X. I run my own YouTube channel. I'm a historian, and I've written a few books. And my wonderful co-host, who has frozen once again. I'm still frozen. <laughs> no. Okay, my name is Max. I run the Rob Spear channel, where I talk about British politics and Brexit in particular. Um, if you can, if you guys can still hear me, I'll continue to speak. Um, Alex, what's, what's our, what are our topics for today? Our topics for today, oh, we've got so many, but we're going to talk mainly about the NHS. That's our focus for today. We're going to we're going to talk about the National Health Service and generally how awesome it is. But we're also going to have a bit of a dig at Katie Andrews. It is Katie Andrews who proceeded to slag it off because she loves privatization so much. Uh, Davey, you're an expert on this field. Tell yes. us all, please. What is your view of? I'm I'm happy to recite some of the stuff that Katie claimed was true about the NHS, and that's, that, that'll that be not just for yourself, but for the viewers. She suggested that we are in the higher end of the OECD pay ratings for how much we pay into our National Health Service, and Davey's smirking there. <laughs> that's going to get burnt as a comment. God, Davey, why don't they get you on question time? You know, we, we were talking about this off air. We were saying, like, they just had that Brexity Brex brexit um question time last week and literally there was one anti-brexit on the panel and everyone else including the audience was pro-brexit and then the nhs i didn't see anyone who was the full force advocate for how great the nhs is so um she to reiterate what she said we spend the most or some of the most in the oecd she suggested that it wasn't working that we've got the highest death rate or you know within within the ahs compared to a lot of other countries davy please what are your thoughts on this because you should have been on that panel so the first thing to talk about is the spend when you talk about oecd spend that's absolutely fine but what you have to remember is where that money goes and if you look at where the money goes in the nhs it's all being redistributed amongst middle managers that don't need to be there and i know that's something that a lot of people don't like to hear because there are a lot of people whose bread and butter comes from managing in the NHS. But ultimately, if we want to shake up the system, we need to look at money redundancy. And if you look at where the managers are in the NHS, we don't need half of them. I'm sorry to the people out there who are doing those jobs, but ultimately you can go and do health and safety, bloody, you know, two hour tutorials elsewhere. Not to mention a lot of those people are externally contracted. Because when I was in the NHS, I had to do a three and a half hour seminar on unconscious bias, which essentially could have been condensed down into sometimes you think bad things don't act on them. And that was frustrating. When it comes to other figures, what was the other thing that she'd mentioned? Sorry, could the OECD. Uh, yeah, the we've got the, one of the highest death rates. So the death rates, the death rates thing is not untrue, but it's about the providence of that. Where does the death rate come from? And if you look at how the NHS has been squeezed so that the money does go to middle managers instead of where it needs to go, which is frontline treatment. It's no wonder 
when I was working for LTHT, uh, one of the really, really sad story, one of the consultants passed away. He was driving down a bridge and uh, he, we, we don't really know what happened actually, but he, his bike went over the side of the bridge and he died. I needed to hire the honorary consultant who took over his job. So we hired in using a temporary, like a kind of an honorary contract. So he was working elsewhere, but we took him on to look after this guy's caseload. And he came to the hospital and within like three days, apparently he went to management and went, what is that MRI machine? Like, what is it? How old is it? And they were like, it's just the MRI machine we've got. And he was like, it's old, it's low quality. I can't read people's MRIs properly. I'm going to miss things. So he ended up having to get them to spend a million pounds on a new MRI machine. And everyone's going, you know, the problem is a lot of people think about the NHS as it has to be money efficient. That's not how healthcare works. Spend a million pounds, get an MRI machine that works and people live longer. That's the point. Who gives a shit if it costs a million pounds? It's an MRI machine that will save people's lives. Then when you look at the, the biggest, most annoying thing that goes on is it goes hand in hand with everything to do with immigration. A lot of, you know, there was that crazy thing that Miriam Cates did in Parliament the other day where she tried to ban people from coming here on tier two visas to do care work. First of all, Miriam, have you noticed the budding crisis in healthcare when it comes to care work? And do you know who the main bunch of people are that fill those gaps, either short term or longer term, people that come here on tier two visas? So the problem that we have is there are a bunch of people that are using figures that are factual to distort the provenance behind them. And the truth is what came out in that report from the King's Trust, was it last week or the week before, that showed that the government for the last 13 years has systematically underfunded key areas of infrastructure in the NHS. Not the NHS, money goes there, but the key areas of infrastructure, whether it's research and other things. And the final bit that we need to mention is that if you're going to pull out of the EU, then you're going to lose a lot of the funding that comes to develop some of the front running technology to beat cancer. So if you want to know why people are dying of cancer here, it's because we are not pioneering the frigging treatments anymore. Someone else talk now. <laughs> <laughs> I've got, just for our viewership, David, can you give a bit of background as to what you did with the NHS to, to show why you're an expert other than obviously having worked in there and you gave a little bit of, gave a little bit away. For my sins, um, all the way up to compliance manager, which I did for several years. Um, and then I also worked in the NHS doing staff supply for two years. But ultimately, I just got an abiding interest in the infrastructure of the NHS, which I know how cool that makes me sound, by the way. But I just, I'm just fascinated with how it's been changed. You know, um, I've got the, the latest book from Julia Grace Patterson on my desk that I've just finished. And that's all about the long-term degradation of the NHS. And it's worth a read because it goes into what the NHS is structured to be and how it just isn't that right now. Do you, do you see Richard, possible- Richard, your thoughts? Yeah, Richard, go ahead. Max? No, no, Richard, go ahead. Uh, <laughs> oh, okay, thanks. Well, I, I have to say, David summarized a lot of the points I was gonna make in terms of the NHS and uh, the relationship with the EU. But I think to a large extent, we, we need to remind ourselves how we got here. If we look back just a few years, uh, I see the 2019 general election as a, one of the most dichotomous elections we've ever had. You had two choices. Do you want Brexit or do you want a well-funded NHS? Those were the two basic options on the table. If you strip behind all the rubbish personality politics that happened at the time, that was the choice the British people were given. And sadly, uh, they went for Brexit and to reject the NHS. And let's remind ourselves what the former Prime Minister John Major said at the time, that the NHS was about as safe with the Tories as a pet hamster with a hungry python. 
and never have words proved to be so prophetic. And soon after that election, of course, we had COVID, where lots of people were out on the street clapping, uh, hailing the NHS workers as heroes, the people who put their lives before uh, people like me. Uh, easy for me to sit in my house doing stuff on YouTube, but those frontline workers really were heroes. And now we get to the stage where not only is the NHS underfunded, people are having real terms pay cuts. The people we really need at the front of our society are the people who, uh, quite frankly, society is taking the piss out of now. And what I would say to frontline nurses, frontline cleaners, frontline support staff in the hospital, you do a wonderful job, but why are you letting this country take the piss out of you in this way. You deserve so much more than you are actually getting. If Dido Harding can get 37 billion for her track and trace system, which didn't even work, then I'm sure there's a lot of money that could be put into frontline hospitals if we have the political will to do so. And it's disappointing that this government is so obviously rejecting it. It's also disappointing that the government in waiting isn't really seeming to prioritise this as well. And one final thing I would just say to all of those currently uh, asking for fair pay rises, don't let this government tell you you are the problem for inflation. Unless you've had a pay rise of more than 10%, you are not the problem here. The problem is the people who have extracted all the funds out of our society. Because let's remind ourselves, the economy still has the same basic capacity. It can still produce the same volume of goods and services. And if you, as our frontline health staff, are losing your share of those, it's because some greedy, let's be honest, Tory somewhere is getting more than their fair share. So uh, never was there a time more for the health unions to really make their point felt, I think. There's, there's so many directions we can go with this. Max, what are your thoughts? Yeah, no, I don't know if you guys can see me now or if I'm still frozen. We can. Okay, so you have to look at me now. <laughs> um, but it, it's like from from both parties, you have the Tories and the and the Labour Party talking about we're going we're going to increase the numbers, but they haven't said how. Especially, you know, I mean, outside the EU, how are you going to re increase the numbers? Now the Tories will say um, we're going to uh, push people out of benefits into the NHS. Uh, that's insane. <laughs> Like so, so many people are already, you know, who are on benefits or, or caring or carers, people who are unable to work, people who are doing a number of jobs already. You know, was it 40 percent of people think on universal credit are already 22 percent are retired? You just get 22 percent retired, 17 so percent you know, students, and I think it's 25 percent social carers. Get, get out of that allotment and back into the NA, or into the NHS. Um, I think I'm freezing again. Um, yeah. <laughs> I'm getting a notification. Are meant to pick fruit, the pensioners? Oh well, yes, yes. But see, this is the answer to all of these. They keep saying, "Well, we just get people like there's wherever the shortage is, we're going to get the pensioners to 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 fill that gap. We're going to get people." Hope on I hope there's no... What if we like? Because as someone that knows the NHS figures, do you know how many people out there are waiting for like upper GI surgery? Can you imagine like an 87 year old man named Bruce going? really still will be like it's like this is not the solution um there is it, it's funny because there is some amazing technology coming out with that i'm aware of where they've got robotic arms that can do that but i still don't know 87 but but, but also That's with the technology teacher when you were 16 but but, but the, also this thing about <laughs> but also this thing about technology is you need engineers to 
to develop the technology. You need technicians to implement it, to maintain it. And, you know, and that also requires uh, bringing in people from abroad in some cases. So it's technology will do it. But but then also you need the funding for the technology, as as um, David pointed out, you know, a million pounds for a new uh, was it um, uh, MRI? MRI. Yeah, MRI machine. It, it, it does get... This is one of the things that cracks me up, though, because I'm also very critical of some of the stuff that Labour's coming out with because they're also... I understand that they're trying to meet us where they're going to be when they inherit the country from the Tories, but Streeting's plans are just not good. And also some of the stuff that Starmer comes out with, I, I died laughing at that press conference when Starmer was... They were like are you going to fund the NHS properly? And he was like, we're going to use technology. And I was like, mm-hmm. how are you going to pay for it, Kia? Hmm? Is it going to be money? Is that how you're going to, is that how you're going to pay? Like, don't talk shit because it falls apart. And um, like my abiding interest is staffing. And when you actually look at the figures and like how the NHS has been infiltrated by private industries, like the one I used to work for, that's when you start to pick apart the fact that both parties are talking very unattractive nonsense at the moment. Do you know how much they spend on admin now for working with the private sector, including consultancy? I'll throw out some guesses. Richard, how much do you think they spend the NHS now? We can do a percentage, you can do a figure. And I'll, I'll tell you what, I'll even be nice. The original figure in the 1980s they used to spend on administration for the NHS was 5%. What do you think it is now? Oh, as a percentage, percentage of total spend? We can do a percentage, and you can do a, a financial figure. Okay, I'll go for 28.1%. 20% on an admin <laughs> with the private sector. <laughs> so how, how much money do you think that might be in, in billions? Uh, now I have to show my ignorance by taking 28.1% of a number I don't know very well. I'll so uh, I'm going to go for 62.4 billion. Davey. I think that might be pretty Patel-level maths you just forced me into the head of Alex. <laughs> me? Do you think like that? No. <laughs> Davey? Um, I'm going to say a slightly... Like no offense, but a normal number of about twenty percent. Twenty eight percent on admin, and it used to be five percent in the eighties. I'd say I'd probably say about twenty five. Actually, about twenty, maybe like a. And so, in in point. billions, that would be how much you think? God, uh, fifteen, twenty, fifteen. 15. Max, um, I was going to say ten percent, but everyone has said much higher, so I'll have to. I'll put a bit. I'd say twenty percent. And I don't know how much the NHS budget is. Probably something like five hundred million. Five hundred bit. No, five. No, it's more than five hundred million. It's a, a few billion. So uh, maybe five hundred billion. Um, in spending. Interesting. So I, I Max, don't know. So, so Max, about you were the closest. Twenty billion in um, consultancy fees. You were the closest. It's ten percent. So it was five percent in the eighties. Now, because of private healthcare, we're having to spend double that. So it was five. This is according to Open Democracy from one of their research papers. So I went from and, and a Yorkshire University, uh, York University released a paper on it. So it was five percent. It's now ten percent. And the and basically it's not well known, but the government tried to suppress that document from coming out because they didn't want to make. It's about ten billion extra in admin, and the reason for the admin being so high is because the NHS is having to coordinate with the private sector. But they're also hiring them as consultants to explain to the NHS of how best to work with the private sector. Mm-hmm. And again, this is something that Katie didn't bring up. So we're spending 10 billion 
for no reason. That could go on to any number of different things. It's just a total waste of money. But I think the the other thing that came up with Katie and the diatribe of nonsense that came out of her mouth, because she clearly is trying to get the private sector in as much as possible. Um, it would cost you money. So I believe in France to get an ambulance out, you obviously pay your taxes, but you then have to add on to the cost of, I think, I think, please correct me, viewers. I'm sure we're going to get angry, angry emails and letters from people if I get this wrong. I believe it's 50 euros to get the ambulance out on top. So you've got to, that's going to come out of your personal pocket. And this is the thing that I always find quite interesting with the NHS and the privatization argument. One way or another, someone's got to pay. Do you pay with everyone chucking in tax and then you just turn up at the hospital and someone looks after you? Or does it come out of your personal pocket? And it was interesting because she definitely said we shouldn't go the American route. And I've, I've said this as, as a figure on a number of occasions, and I'm going to throw out questions again. And Max is going to see, we're going to test your memory on this. How much does it cost for an x-ray in the States, Max? I think it's uh, 2,000 pounds. 2000 per pounds. x-ray. Uh, 10. <laughs> Davey? 2,500 pounds, isn't it? Richard? I thought it was somewhere in the region of $1,500, but uh, probably with inflation, um, probably closer. $1,500. you have got to pay out your personal pocket if you don't have insurance. How much for a breathalyzer? Uh, we'll go Davey. Oh, breathalyzer. Bloody hell. Uh, for an inhaler, an actual inhaler for asthma. Oh, okay. Sorry. Those are two different things. You just... Yeah, I know. I've got to be careful with my medical um, stuff. $850? Richard? Um, well, I would be shocked if it's more than about a hundred dollars. But Max, I think it's about a hundred dollars. About two hundred and fifty to three hundred and fifty, depending on the state. So you've got to pay for that if you don't have insurance. Now, obviously, that's changed a little bit under Obamacare, which has become a bit more socialized. But otherwise, like there's still, I think, seventy million Americans that are still not covered under Obamacare, which again Trump tried to repeal. We're not going to go too much in the states. By making the comparison, we also talked about how much spending was um, per person. This is an interesting factoid. It's 3K in the UK per person that we spend. In the top EU 14, 17 countries, it's 3.6. So there's a 500 uh, euro difference or 666 euro difference between what the UK spends per person compared to what they spend in the EU. She's she talked a lot can, of crap, and that's yeah, yeah, why but, but you like, know I wanted to bring up. Sorry, Max. Yeah, no, no. Just as you were talking about what she was saying, um, of course she's moving away. She doesn't want to promote the American model too much, which I I think is just a uh, a distraction from the you know it's a it's a tool to distract in in the sense that sorry, there's some noise in the background here. Um, it's a, it's to distract the public so that they they because the the American model a lot of people are like oh I I don't want that you know like the idea of having something like you know most people ha who have a car well, everyone who has a car should have car insurance and you know when you're when you're buying a premium uh, you're buying cover you say well I want to cover this or I don't want to cover that and it, in, in in the U S it's pretty much the same when it comes to health insurance you say well I want to cover cancer care but I don't want to cover that or you know you add and subtract things to what you what your budget can provide but when it comes to the 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 right wing in the UK what they're trying to do now is well, okay we better not mention the american model too much because people know about it let's say a european model but they don't explain that um the for example in germany um coverage is mandatory so health insurance is mandatory but it's not like in the united states um 
and you have you know, you have uh, public funding and private funding together, but the, the private funding is highly regulated. The Tories are not fans of regulation. So they would, they're saying, yeah, we can have a, a European-style model, but it would be more like an American one because they wouldn't have the regulations that the European, the European countries have. So it's uh, no. like, like the NHS, the, the, problem, the problems facing the NHS, I believe, are two things. Funding, a lack, insufficient funding, not because they keep saying we're, we're, we're spending more, we're spending more. In a sense, yes, but it's not enough. And the second is, of course, the private the privatization. Uh, I wanted to say earlier that there was um, a report that nurses pri- nurses were being brought in to fill gaps, f- and these were agency staff, and the agencies were being paid something like four hundred pounds a day for the nurse. Yeah. So, like, if you had actually just had regular nurse, and the nurses, the, the nursing staff who were working for these agencies, they were not seeing the four hundred pounds a day. Mm-hmm. They're probably yeah. seeing less than half of that. Um, well, it, I know, have, I know sorry, from on. personal experience from friends, I think it's 300, 350 in London. I think there's a cap as well as to how much you can demand. It depends on your band. But of course, there's problems there because they can't go up in the bands unless they're in a hospital. Even that's woolly, though. Even that's woolly. You have to bear in mind that they build in redundancies to these things. And this is where <clears> what I've done really comes into it because that's exactly what I talked about in that video the other day. If you like everyone's afraid that if we increase nhs salaries that it's going to come directly out of our taxes but if we increase nhs salaries enough to draw people away from the private sector which they go to specifically because they get paid enough we'll reduce spend on external staff which not only is the salary that we're so afraid of paying but also goes on everything from the rental of the office property of the locum agency and the you know the ceo pay packets and their energy bills and like all these things reduce the spend over there by increasing it over here and even if we end up paying the same out it's still a direct outgoing into where it needs to go that's the whole point don't route it through agencies which have to pay tons of money to tender for contracts don't pay to umbrella companies that then take a cut out of that money as well so it's got to be increased even more so they get the rate they want just stop all of that put it directly into the workers pockets and they won't go away why on earth has the NHS not got its own supply service? So instead of going to the private, it does. It does. Yes. So there's a thing called NHS professionals, and I like I so I one of the companies that I work with um, does a little bit of limited work around NHS professionals. So I'm very dubious about saying anything negative. But NHS professionals is it's called NHS. It's affiliated with the government. To me, I want to do more research into how it works and how it's funded because I don't know if NHS Professionals is NHS or is a private company that's affiliated through the NHS and is another way to get money from the NHS into a privately funded corporation. I really want to understand their funding model. I don't know it enough to. That's make meant to be the, the essentially a socialist system where it's not about the profits; it's about we've got staff, we think they're worth 350 and then we pay for the admin and there's no profit disappearing to someone else. I know that NHS professionals uses some stuff that is certainly not along the like socialized model that we want it to be. And that's why I'm dubious about it. I need to do more research into NHS professionals. So I've got a couple of friends that are NHS um, nurses that work within the supply sector. And I've never, I've never heard them mention that there was a, NHS run version of it 
So that's why I'm curious. I, they could be wrong, could have missed something. I, I don't know. Can that's I, why I followed I, up. So just, just to interrupt for Go a on, second. Nice. So, um, in chat, uh, Stagehand said, I lost my home due to all the deductibles and co-pays over, the last, over a few years. I had to sell my home due to health care. Um, and I presume Stagehand is in the US. Uh, but that's that's what's facing the UK if um, the Tories continue down the route of of uh, NHS privatisation and Labour go along with that as well. People are going to end up in a situation where they'll have to buy health insurance and they, they won't be able to buy it. They won't be able to afford full coverage. So they're going to leave something out. And then when they get sick later on in life, um, they're going to be denied uh, coverage, uh, denied um, cover. So they'll end up having to pay for it themselves. And if it's some something like cancer treatment or or something related to that, which is extremely expensive, um, they're going to end up having to sell their home. Gone again. Oh, of course. I was, I was, uh, Richard, any further thoughts from you on this? I must say, every time we talk about the NHS, um, I, I just get this overwhelming sense of depression as to the direction we're going in and, and, and how we're going to solve it. And it seems to me that we, I think in actual fact today marks the day that this current government now has no more than 18 months left, because I think it's January the 9th or 10th 2025 that uh, they have to go but that's 18 months where they can still cause untold destruction push forward this horrific right-wing agenda i have no confidence that the incoming government in 2025 will actually do anything apart from just uh, no pun intended put sticking plasters over the edges uh, of the nhs and keep it going and i think by 2030 when we're looking at uh, perhaps another tory government that could be it for the nhs and uh, I, I i honestly feel a little bit what can we do at this stage can, can i just say oh, uh, stand in uxbridge yeah just before stand we get the mayor of london go ahead Max. just before we get to that um there's a bit of confusion in chat we are live today on sunday so uh, if you'd like to hit us with a super chat we'll read it out on the stream today um can you tell us a bit about that uh this by-election oh sorry uh, alex you want to say something first i've, I've got I've, well, I've just got one thing just to bring up about this obsession that they've got with privatization isn't it interesting that no one i didn't just, just going back to that panel, the the Tory member who was weird, Mercer, isn't he in charge of uh, military? Uh, veterans. He's uh, veterans. veterans, yeah. And the Labour minister was in charge of education, shadow education. So there was no one actually representing. Then it's Stop Oil and then a hater of the NHS. That was the entire panel for question time. But the, the other thing I just bring up is the Wagner group. I'd love to ask Katie, and please, everyone, send her messages about the military should also be privatised, because that's working out really well for Putin right now, isn't it? <laughs> They're certainly keeping their prison costs down in Russia, that's for sure. Right. <laughs> can, can, can I just say one thing? Before... Merc- Apparently there was a rumour kicking around that Trump wanted to do something similar. Yes. He did. Sorry, Max. Go ahead. No, no. Just one thing before we yeah. maybe we can move on to the next topic. I just want to say, um, w- mm. one of the things they keep saying is about technology, and unfortunately, as um as David pointed out, what was Keir Starmer's response was technology. Um, uh, Mick Lynch brought up a very valid point about re- replacing staff with technology, and he said, you know, an app is like if you're if you're on a train late at night and there's drunken, disorderly people, a nap isn't going to help you out. If you're a disabled person and you're trying to get on a train and there's no staff available, an app isn't going to help you out. So it's important that, yes, technology helps, but you, you also need the people. And when it comes to you know care, the care sector, technology isn't going to, to resolve that problem. You need people. 
Anyway, Alex, what's what's our next? Well, it's interesting. Just said about the. Well, I will move on. It's just just to also go on to that. They've just talked about the offices closing across London for mm. the ticket offices. Mm. And again, I'm going late at night. If you're on your own, are the police on the station able to help you? No. Ticket office might be able to, but if you're disabled, a lot of those stations aren't disabled access. So what are you meant to do if there's no one in the ticket office? If there's no one on the platform. They don't care about disabled people. No. They're the nastiest bit of work I've ever, ever experienced. I mean, we can we can go into other stuff. Sorry, yes, Max, you wanted to segue into a, a new topic. Shall we talk about Uxbridge? Yes. We could oh, talk yes. about the media. <laughs> we could talk about Brexit. What, what's what's happening so in Uxbridge, uh, Richard? Well, in Uxbridge, there are currently 17 of the most delightful candidates vying to be the new Boris Johnson uh, <laughs> in there. Um, a very bizarre campaign, I have to say, seems to be going on at the moment. Um, in all the by-elections I've stood or campaigned in in this parliament, I have never seen the Conservatives so active and confident that they might stand a chance of snatching victory from the jaws of defeat, which is a little bit of a surprise. I'm also genuinely surprised by the amount of hatred that I'm hearing for what you would say is Britain's most unpopular politician, uh, judging by the conversations. Let's see what people's guess is. If you were to guess who people in Uxbridge might seem to hate most as a politician, who would you go for? Any thoughts? Oh, God. I don't know. It's, it's... Yeah, we can hear you now, Max. Sorry, go, go ahead, Davey. Sadiq Khan. I'm Boris afraid Johnson. it is indeed. It seems to be Sadiq Khan. Um, the ULEZ uh, issue, which of course has absolutely nothing to do with the parliamentary by-election because whoever is voted in as MP for Uxbridge has no power over ULEZ whatsoever. But of course, and indeed, we have this bizarre situation where unfortunately our rosettes, which are sort of the EU blue and yellow, and um, there's a bit too much blue and a little bit too, too little yellow. So we get keeping being mistaken for Tories when we're out campaigning, which is a bit embarrassing. But the Tories, I understand, are now reading, wearing a red and black rosette and uh, going around as anti-Ulis activists uh, rather than Conservatives. So I think Dave is absolutely right. It's upside down world uh, in Uxbridge at the moment. But uh, obviously, one of the reasons we're standing in Uxbridge is because we believe that Brexit is destroying the economy, it's destroying the nation, it's behind the uh, massive inflation we see at the moment, it's also indirectly behind the mortgages and the rent increases that are forcing people to make accommodation changes, so that's one of the reasons we're standing in Uxbridge. But the other reason we're particularly standing in Uxbridge is because we think the reason that we're in this situation is because certain liars have lied to the country and led us up a garden path, and we don't think it's good enough just to say to a liar, oh, well, never mind, you're out of Parliament now, go and make lots of money at the Daily Mail, go and uh, make lots of money doing speeches. We believe that liars should be held accountable for what they do. And that's one of the, that's the other reason we're standing in Uxbridge. We want the people of Uxbridge to have the chance to say Johnson should be investigated and, if necessary, prosecuted for uh, what he's done whilst the member for Uxbridge. So that's, that, that's, in a nutshell, where we are in Uxbridge at the moment. David, does that win your vote? If you were in Uxbridge, I know you're not, but would that win your vote, that 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 speech? Would that be enough to get you over the line? I mean, I haven't seen the other candidates and who knows? Maybe Lawrence Fox will say something that really appeals to me, a homosexual man who wants to see him thrown into the closest, dirtiest river. <laughs> but I would say it's you a very stirring speech. You could go along. I mean, I'm not sure how I'd get to Uxbridge from Leeds, but I'll give it a try. <laughs> 
Well, you're just not believing strong enough, as all the Brexiters have told us, David. Just just sit and believe and you'll be an Uxbridge with Lawrence. If I close my eyes and think real hard, I'll be transported from the sunlit uplands, is what you say. Exactly. <laughs> but exactly. I, I want to ask about, I, I don't know if you guys can That's hear me very now. stirring speech. Can, <laughs> can you hear me now? Yeah, we yes. can. Yes, okay. Can. Um, no, like the ULES. Yeah. Like, what, what's the what's the alternative? Like nobody's presented an alternative to ULES. Here's your well, pitch, Richard. <laughs> well, the alternative to ULES is that we all choke on our fumes in London, and uh, the massive amount of uh, premature deaths continues and to rise. The amount of children who grow up with respiratory diseases uh, increases as well. That is the alternative to ULES. And um, the one thing I would say. Um, in perhaps just slight sympathy with the anti-Eulers activists, I do think it's been brought in in a very, very unfair way. Um, a lot of people are not going to get the compensation they need. And once again, it's going to hit the poorest, and that really needs to be thought out a lot better. Um, my personal view is I think we have to do something about uh, fumes and pollution in London. But I think what we really need is to actually consult the community on what we're doing. No one has ever actually taken the time to consult the community on what is actually happening in London. And that's why I would be very much in favour of a Citizens' Assembly to review. I I'm quite confident that a Citizens' Assembly, where the citizens of London are presented with the evidence and told what the alternatives are, would get backing for you, Les. But if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. And I think the fact that it's been done in such a heavy-handed manner is now starting to impact the Labour voters a bit in, uh, in Uxbridge. Do you know how many people die a year from fossil fuel fumes, including cars, coal, gas? The I have seen so many figures of premature death, ranging from the low 100s into the sort of mid-thousands. Uh, mm -hmm. And of course, one of the big... And the reason I'm not going to commit to a figure on that is because so many different parties will give you so many different figures on this because there's so much different uh, research done. And this, again, is, is what we need clarity on. We need to know exactly what uh, the mayor's figures that he's working on are. He has quoted figures, I believe, uh, in the low four figures per annum in terms of premature death. Oh, for London, you mean? For London. I was talking yeah. globally. Oh, globally, um, um, obviously much, much larger. Uh, yeah, yeah. But uh, just looking at this as a London issue, um, I, I don't think that has been explained well enough to people. Oliver Stone's claiming at the moment he's just done a documentary on, on the benefits of nuclear power, and he's claiming it's four million a year globally a die as a result of us using fossil fuels, which is quite bigger. It's probably going to be more than that if you if you like more understanding of how those these things contribute because ultimately if you look at certain forms of cancer it's caused by breathing in particulates that then cause an irritation that causes a mutation that can't be fixed that then turns into cancer so if you count in those kind of deaths then the figure is actually quite terrifying yeah but, but wait, which is interesting because nuclear isn't yeah but we on need that a level but which we is need a interesting sorry Max. Yeah, you yeah, know, but we need a balance because, you know, if I want to drive my Range Rover into the centre of London and somebody dies, you know, it's a it's a give and take. OK, some sarcasm there in case anyone doesn't realise. OK. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for clarifying there, Max. That figure um, that you just discussed there, even a low ball four million per annum, that's a that's one in every 2000 people on planet Earth dying every year as a result of pollution. And when you expand that over a lifetime, that, that's that's kind of coming close to uh, sort of one in 30 to one in 40 people that will die as a result of pollution on our planet. So yeah, I, I think we need to do something seriously. And I think it is good to see 
uh, how intransigent almost the Labour mayor has been in London. It's just that he hasn't taken the people in. I just don't see how you can really justify having that going into your lungs so that someone else can make money. Like I'm not getting compensated for it. I remember, I remember going uh, in Hackney Wick. They've got a weird sort of city of London thing going on because the park, that's the Olympic Park, is actually a privately run company and does, isn't under any jurisdiction of any council. Most people don't know this. And I got in a bit of a Barney with him at one of the consultation meetings when it, when they turned up after they put a massive wrecking ball on everything. Um, they knocked down loads of houses. They knocked down a lot of the art district that was developing around there. It was turning into quite a vibrant art area. And they just come in and just smashed it all out of the way with no consultation. But they had one afterwards because they were getting so many complaints. But it was really interesting because they sort of defended themselves saying, you know, well, we didn't intend to do this. And I said, literally, there was a rose growing here and you trodden it. And they said, well, we haven't done that much damage. I said, I said to them, what's the biggest pollutant in terms of production? Of, of of co2 and noxious gas didn't have an answer and i said well it's a cement plant and i said you've stuck one on one side of the olympic park and then you stuck an elementary school on the opposite side of the elementary park of the olympic park why have you done that and they said oh well we went down there one day and we did a test for pollutants coming from the chem uh, from the cement plant onto the school and we didn't find anything i said i bet you picked the day where the wind wasn't blowing in that direction <laughs> they had no answer but it's like stuff like that which makes makes me go what what are they doing why is there a cement plant being stuck up on the olympic park with no actual democratic jurisdiction and then on top of that they're justifying it i mean why is it in london at all it should be on the outskirts i'm i, I think we should move on a little bit from that and just talk about brexit in general and we can bring back the nhs a little bit here because george useless is the former who is a Tory cabinet member, I'll let everyone else talk about him, um, wants EU workers back. <laughs> Max, what are your thoughts? Um, I, I'm hearing we're having some buffering problems, but hopefully you can see me and hear me, uh, at least hear me. Um, wh when it comes to George Eustace, he's an interesting character. So he used to be a member of UKIP. He uh, was he's infamously connected to uh, a farming, a pro-Brexit farming pollster where he said that, you know, Farmers would benefit from Brexit. Obviously, they have not in any way. Um, and now he's saying that uh, we actually need EU workers, or we need workers anyway. We need foreign workers. Um, and of course, you're going to bring in workers from abroad uh, because you can't find people in the local area. They keep saying the Tories' response to all of this is a bit like when it comes to the NHS, is, well, we just recruit people locally. Okay, but if you want to recruit people locally, you need to increase... Uh, wages and better conditions and that's a cost that has to be passed on so if it's passed on to the supermarkets if you're picking fruit and vegetables and you're passing passing on that cost to the supermarkets the supermarkets can just say well we're not going we're not willing to pay these prices we'll import them cheaper from abroad so then how do the farmers compete with that so what what used to be the the used to be the model was that they would bring in workers from abroad they would stay there for three six uh, 12 months whatever they would live on the site um, the work was very difficult in, in the beginning the work is not well paid but in some ways it is better paid the longer you do it the, the more experience you have and it helped the farmers and it helped the the workers because they would send money back to their home countries 
but since Brexit, they can't do that. So it's, or it's very difficult to do that. So farmers have to rely on bringing people in from other parts of Europe. But with the with the visa system, it's very uh, complicated and expensive. And um, and this idea that, well, we just bring people in locally. Well, first of all, they're not in the area. And the farmers have been saying for three years, we've been actually trying to do that. We've been reaching out to agencies and we can't find the staff. Like there, there was, and there was a, I, I think, just at the, it was about two or three years ago, they, James O'Brien talked about this. They, there was a farmer who said, okay, he put out a request for British-only um, fruit pickers and he received 50,000 replies. Uh, he wanted to have an interview with people. About 100 people turned up out of the 50,000 and then they whittled it down to one person and that person lasted a day. So it's, um, you know... On the one hand, you need if you want to if you want the stuff, you have to pay them more and you have to improve the conditions. But working on a farm is really difficult. If anyone has ever done it, they know. Um, uh, but the Tories have no solution, and unfortunately, I don't think the Labour Party have prevent, presented any other solution either. Maybe we can bring in Richard. It's difficult to actually comment without using those words we know we mustn't use, so I'll, I'll, I'll avoid saying that. But this is just one of many things that we've seen over the recent uh, few days. Obviously, we also have the horizon issue now, where Britons have to admit our scientists are struggling without access to the horizon programme, so now we're going to pay whatever we need to get back in. So, so let's list what's happening. We've taken down the trade barriers almost permanently now in Northern Ireland. So uh, even though it might be difficult to go through the Dover port, there is now free transit virtually of goods uh, back into the EU via the Northern Ireland corridor. We're back in the Horizon programme at a ridiculously high cost. And we've admitted what everybody was saying a long time ago, that uh, the workers that come in as seasonal workers are absolutely essential to British agriculture. So what we are seeing is, it's almost like a double thing where, on the one hand, the Tories are saying, look at Brexit. Isn't Brexit delivering? Whilst they're dismantling it bit by bit as fast as they can actually go. And uh, I remember, who, who was the other um, Tory that was in the news today? Um, Tobias Elwood basically coming out and saying, look, why don't we just have the courage as Tories to admit that Brexit was wrong, that we got it wrong and we need to move back to the single market? And of course, there, there is this talk at the moment that actually Labour are being more stubborn than some of the Tories in talking about this at the moment. And what would be the worst of all worlds is if the Tories go into opposition and then outflank Labour on the EU issue and actually start talking sense in opposition, which is what I wish the Labour Party would do now. But to summarise, it was inevitable, wasn't it, where we are now? And it's going to get worse, particularly if these new import checks do come in in October. I think the Tories will just say, oh, no, can't do that. That's going to be too problematic and kick the can uh, further into the future. But we're in July at the moment. It still looks like we're going to do more self-harm to ourselves in October. We'll have to see how it uh, pans out. Uh, before we bring Davey. in Davy, uh, can we? Uh, yeah, I saw no high rolls. Uh, no, just before we bring in David, there's a super chat oh, from Maggie, super chat. Sorry. Maggie Pie. Uh, thanks so much, Maggie Pie. Friendly European advice. Uh, Rejoin EU needs to be specific about how Brexit has affected people personally. Too few Brits know what the EU really is. Yeah, I, I think that's something uh, that. Uh, but um, I, I think Richard does a very good job um, 
explaining. I, I, I think that comment is spot on. So, sorry, David, to just talk over you there. But I think that comment is spot on. And I think we need to go right back to what happened in the referendum of 2016. As soon as that referendum happened, the pound lost 20% in value over most of it that night, most of it over the near future. That single-handedly has put up our import costs by a huge amount, which has knocked onto the supply chain, meaning that we are far more vulnerable now to any international supply shocks than we were previously. And when you add to the fact, I think the other thing that Brexit is doing to affect us that wasn't talked about before <clears throat> is we have a series of almost microaggressions from companies in Europe. Not, not their fault, but if you were a company in Europe and you've got 27 good customers that you can go to, and one that's going to be a bit difficult, have trade facing losing their homes. And indeed, um, I, I, I consider myself in quite a fortunate position uh, uh, myself, but I had a lovely letter through the post yesterday telling me that my fixed rate mortgage deal had come to an end. My previous mortgage rate was 2.16%. Anyone like to guess what my new mortgage rate is? Fix. Fix. 7.99% got I got through the door and because uh, I, I was expecting something like six so yeah 7.99 was a shock and I think a lot of people are going to be experiencing these shocks and so to go back to uh, Ms Pai's question uh, that came in there the one thing we can do is signal immediately we want to rejoin the EU as soon as we signal that via a referendum the sooner the pound will recover its value, the sooner the pressure will come off our imports, the sooner inflation will come under control, and the easier it's going to be for people in terms of their mortgages. So sorry, Dave, I just thought I had to reply to that particular. No, no, all, all your points were really good. Don't worry <laughs> about that. I'm I'm not an expert in it. I, I, did, I did so much nerdy research in 2016, and now it's just a case of going, please, can we just hear some truth on it? And that's where I'm, you know, as, as someone that is a layperson on this is frustrated. Like, the thing for me is... Like to go back to talking about staffing again, you know, if you build in redundancies into the existing system and you begin to fill those redundancies with people from abroad, how do you fairly go about redistributing that? For me, I don't give a shit where someone's from if they're doing the job that they're being paid to do and they're doing it right. I don't care. And it's all right. These people being like, oh, they come here and they take money and then they send it back home. I'm like, they, they earn the money. They're allowed to do that. But how do you feel about billionaires that have accounts in the Caymans that don't put that money back into the UK's economy? But when it comes to like how the EU functions and what it is that we need to to get back to doing in the UK, ultimately, I think a lot of people are just beyond the argument and, you know, good for them. But I think the issue that I have is I'm not letting people escape scrutiny for voting on something ill-advised. Like I just said, I'm not even joking. I was such a loser in the run-up to the referendum. I sat there in public because they just opened Leeds Trinity, which is a big shopping mall, and I sat there with folders of like figures and facts and information about how trade trade union worked and how we sold how we sent things abroad, what it was that we were the top sellers in. Half of the stuff that we was like gold, you know, it was reselling and we can't even resell gold easily now, which is one of the things that made us so much money because we, put, we literally put trade barriers in the way. But there's one thing like to make a really simple point that drives me insane when it comes to Brexit, which is you guys mentioned earlier that the Tories are big fans of deregulation. But the big lie of Brexit was always that we would be able to deregulate and make things easier when what we actually did was tie ourselves intrinsically to the fundamental way that the EU works without having a say in it. Because if you move away from the EU, you can't then say we don't like that we do this and we vote to change it. You just have to do what they want. We can't not make things the way that the EU want them made. 
because if we don't, we can't sell to them. So all we did was completely remove any saying how we do things. It's just like every time Jacob Rees-Mogg talks about like moving away from the EU, I'm like, all you did was silence our voice about how that market operates. You. But, but well, but it means um, less trading with the EU and more trading with Mexico or New Zealand, or. <laughs> Thank, thank goodness. Like, what was the, what was the, what was the Australia deal? It's going to add not like point one percent to the no, economy over the zero, next fifteen. percent. Yeah, it's, and it's then about, I don't know if like you guys one point six billion or something like that, which is. You guys see the news report as well. About this, because Never. let's remind ourselves: this trade deal is fantastic, and to duplicate what we have with the EU, we now only have to find another five hundred and twenty-nine countries to do a similar trade deal with. And we'll be back where we were. So, so let, let's stop the negativity. Eh? It's the best thing was the news report in Australia when they were talking about it because the 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 newscasters were visibly sat there going, "Guys, you're not going to believe it. They actually agreed to do this with us. This is what we're going to get from them, and this is all we need to give them back." And it was like, how were how were people in Parliament sat there going, "Great deal, everyone," when people in Australia were going. The, the 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 reporters in Australia were laughing, literally laughing, and Brexit yeah. and the response from Brexiteers was, "How dare they laugh? Like, <laughs> why, why do you think they're laughing? Is, instead of criticizing them laughing, ask why are they laughing?" I was going to say the first big export that we've successfully done to Australia is a lot of our newly qualified doctors who are now going over there in their droves. Why? Because at least the Australian system treats them with some respect, which the UK system doesn't um goal. sorry alex no 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 it's a great point uh in terms of exports yes they are in the e this is something again brexiteers haven't tweaked like be bang on about this i've double checked the figures it our birth rate is that of japan's in the 1990s it's 1.56 that means we're not re we're not reproducing enough and that's going to cause a long-term problem because capitalism within a nation state requires that the population grow for it to sustain itself which is not and so we're going into the 1990s and that then we've got competition from the EU, the US and now Australia and New Zealand for our population. Let's do it. Let's let's do that and let's see how it works out. Because if I was like 17 and I'd watch this country be decimated by old people voting for Tories and voting for Brexit, I'd be like, you uh, need help reaching that, Dean. Oh, well, good luck with that. I'm sorry like, to say, I've had to, I had to be slightly distracted here because Max popped in and out. Richard became the host, and he's now the host of the. <laughs> Is it back to normal again? I think it's very true, and I think people of my age, to a certain extent, we can touch and we can sigh. But at the end of the day, I've had everything in life. I had a great life in the UK uh, growing up, and I'm, I'm sort of coming to the to the latter stages of it now. But if you are 17 and you are looking at this country and you are looking at your future. What a shit show you are looking at. And one of the things I do think that people of my generation should at least try to do is find a way of trying to empower people of that age to take control and uh, have an influence uh, in their society. Because I think David's right. That's exactly what is missing. I, I, I looked at the minister that they had on for a, the education minister for the Labour Party and the policies they were pumping out to retain teachers. And literally, she said, we're going to bribe them 2K. Now, I've been saying now for months, I'm sure Max and everyone else is starting to get sick and tired of it, but I'm still going to say it. That isn't going to retain teachers. 
In a stroke, for free, you could just say, we're banning all homework and there'll be no exams until 16 and you will take off a ton of pressure from teachers. I'll never forget my dad, what I uh, used to work at a physical school and, and, and an online school. And I'll never forget that I was living at home for a little bit with my dad and he was watching me do all the work. And he could see that I was up till 11, 12 o'clock at night. And he was like, how much are they paying you for this? Because it ain't worth it. Why are you yeah. doing that? And I'm like, well, I love teaching. He was like, you're a sucker then basically, because they're, they're keeping you, they're getting you to work from about seven o'clock till midnight, which is most people don't realize. And then you'll normally hear from the, the, the people in the street, they'll go, ah, oh, but you get all those holidays. It's like half term, you're normally working because you're doing catch up. And normally Christmas and Easter, you're actually ill because your body is so wiped out from all the workload. You don't actually have that much time off. You get the summer, fair enough. You get four to six weeks. But again, week after summer, you're recovering. Week before you go back. So it actually brings it down to about a four-week, one solid holiday. And everything's really expensive over that period because everyone else is on holiday. So you sort of go, why would teachers stay here if you're going to treat them like that? And it's just really interesting because we were talking about and criticizing labor. I've looked at their policy thing. I think it's total rubbish for education. You want to have 19 in a class. You want fitness being implemented on a daily basis because it improves IQ. You want languages being taught, but none of them are going to do that because it's either Brexit light or Brexit full. And now, to be honest, now I'm starting to go, is it Brexit light with the Tories or is it Brexit light with Labour Party? Like it, it's it's absolutely fascinating to see it. It's disturbing. But you're going, none of you are actually realising the problems we're in. I'm not hearing anyone talking about our birth rate. And yet we could see it all over the place. George Useless was basically saying how we need EU workers. Yeah, no duh. Because the birth rate isn't replicating itself. So... Well, this links straight back into the immigration issue as well, doesn't it, Alex? I mean, uh, you've got an up-to-date figure there. I've been working on the figure from a few years ago, a 1.75 replacement uh, mm. birth rate and that suggests we need at least 400 to 450,000 immigrants every year just to stay where we are now obviously what policies are we going to take that don't rely on immigrant labor coming in in one form or another and of course uh, I, I can't end without actually linking it to that horrific uh, act by that generic creature in terms of trying to take away all of the nice things to welcome children and try and, well, I mean, if you take away things to help traumatize children, then you are actively trying to traumatize, traumatize young, innocent children when they come into the country. And I honestly don't know how low you can get with that. So not only do we have the issue with uh, a lack of labor linked to the immigration issue, teachers themselves are gonna be finding themselves dealing with an awful lot of traumatized children coming into their classes as well uh, as a direct result of this government's policies so uh, yeah. my last minute rant over before we finish that that mural being taken down the the uh, the center was disgusting it is what a nasty nasty piece of work like, i i used to think that generic was a, pr a pretend villain i thought he was pretending to be evil but no, that is evil I mean, that's only the tip of the iceberg, isn't like, it? How did he explain that to his kids? He has three kids. How, if they were to ask him, why did you paint over those murals? Um, probably, got his, want... probably got his maid to do it. Because yeah. mm. he wants cousins marrying. That is their big goal. I'm that's sure the they want everyone to be like the royal family and to marry with your cousins. I'm sure that's... Don't have anyone coming in. We don't want any genetic material outside the UK. We just want everyone marrying each other. Keep it in the family. Uh, like, let's be like that. Down a very bizarre path here, Alex. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not the one advocating this. 
Let's cross this clip out of Alex saying everyone married. Both main parties are guilty of it, though. They're both so short-termist in their thinking. They're not addressing the fact that we absolutely need to make a robust, smooth corridor to get people into the country to help us fix the immediate workflow problems. Nor are they addressing the fact that you need to incentivize people into careers where they're shortfalls. What are the Tories? Sunak the other day, oh, I'm going to encourage people into university. You've made it more expensive than ever to go to university. There's less places on courses like MBBSs and MBCHBs for doctors. And you're even shrinking the training scheme when they go into the NHS. That doesn't sound like someone who wants to fix the staff flow problem, hun. Rumour is he doesn't want them going to university because they don't vote Tory. But yeah, he said note, that as well. We've got to... Bye-bye. Bye-bye. See you I next know. week.